Welcome to the debate at Newsweek. I'm Andrew Tallman. Today we're going to be talking about classified document handling and how similar or not are the cases of current President Biden and former President Trump, gun control and assault weapons ban passed in Illinois, and whether gun control measures are racist, generative AI, the future of the world or the end to intellectual pursuits and occupations like the ones that I do, the debt ceiling, and is it a serious problem or not? Joining me today, we have Jeff Charles. He is the host of A Fresh Perspective, a podcast and a contributor for Red State and Liberty Nation, and also Ellis Hennigan, New York Times bestselling author, Pulitzer Prize winning columnist, and general curmudgeon. Ellis, Jeff, welcome back to uh, the debate. <laughs> do I have to play the curmudgeon today? I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be to set, nice. I'm trying to set expectations. You know, I, I want people to know what they're in for. Uh, All right, so I'll, 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 I'll treat. I'll try to be more of a curmudgeon this time you around. Be, right, nice. Jeff, you can be the. You can be the jerk. I'll be the gentle guy. How about that? There we go. Good cop, bad cop. I like the tone <laughs> shift. This is great. Well, uh, right. let's start with bad cop first, then, Jeff. Uh, obviously, everybody has been talking about what uh, at least one person called Garage Gate or the documents or Trump versus Biden. Um, start from just scratch, if you want, and tell me. How significant do you think this is for the Biden administration? And obviously, to what degree are the comparisons fair? Yeah, you know, I think the comparisons are, are mostly fair. I mean, I know there are some differences in how um, the Trump and Biden handled the issue when it came to light. Uh, Trump was a lot more antagonistic about giving the documents back, but he was in negotiations to give his documents back. And apparently, according to the reports, Biden was uh, did uh, cooperate. Uh, I think one of the uh, points of contention is that the Department of Justice found this out before the midterm elections and sat on it until afterwards. So that's kind of rankling some feathers. But I think when we look at this overall issue, well, actually, even if I just focus politically, if they were planning on using that classified document scandal against Trump after the uh, search warrant at his home, I think Biden just blew that out of the water at this point. I do not think that it will make a very good political weapon anymore because now it's been <laughs> revealed that Biden had documents in multiple places, whereas Trump just had it in one. So even if they do pursue an investigation, it's going to be hard for them to make the case for an indictment because it's going to look like they were biased. Definitely, I mean, the optics on this are not good. So as for all intents and purposes, that weapon has basically been neutralized. Let's stick with the politi uh, political side for just a second. Ellis, do you agree that this is now dead issue politically or do you think there's still enough nuance in the American voters mind to draw the distinction between what Biden did and Trump did? Well, Dad probably overstates it a little bit, but to listen, it, it's more complicated now. Anytime you've got to explain, you're, you're in a worse situation than if you, if you didn't have to explain. Um, is, it, is it too much to hope that maybe these things ought to just be judged on the facts? I mean, let the professional prosecutors weigh the evidence and, and, and consider who did something illegal and who didn't. I'm all for investigating them. The Biden people ought to say, come on in, everybody, look at this stuff. I suspect that you never did anywhere near criminal intent in the, in the Biden case. I mean, I mean they, they were the ones who, who, who revealed it. Um, but you know what? We'll let the let the facts go. I, I'm I don't really need to turn this into some kind of political calculation. Just let's let's figure out if they violated the law. Let's prosecute somebody. You know, um, it's a really interesting question to me how to compare, for example, the two cases of the president and the former president with uh, an op-ed piece that Ed Snowden wrote, uh, or at least some comments, I should say, uh, on Twitter that we've talked about on uh, at Newsweek. 
he's basically saying, look, we've got people going to jail for one document. And yet these guys are getting basically at this point looks like a pass. And obviously time will tell where the investigation goes. But is there a double standard? Is that double standard a problem for our country, Jeff? Yeah, of course it is. I mean, we do have a two-tiered justice system in in more ways uh, than than one. Um, You know, if you or I did something like this, it it would be a foregone conclusion. But when you're somebody who has served in the upper echelons of government, you get a lot more leeway. You don't have to worry quite as much. And Edward Snowden, I think, I think he laid it down pretty pretty nicely. I mean, he said that this has uh, this whole system has made our government less trustworthy and our country less free. And and the thing about it is that I'm pretty sure if you were to investigate every past president in recent memory, Obama, Bush, I'm pretty sure you can find some classified documents in their homes. It sounds like this is like a common practice, whether it's intentional or not. And just now it's becoming an issue. And unfortunately, I mean, speaking to what was said earlier, we should just let the facts go where they may, but everything is politicized. I mean, it's like we don't care about this stuff unless it's the other team doing it, which means that we can't really get to a solution. We can't blow this whole thing up and then reform it and actually have a coherent system that allows for transparency because people are just concerned about how it can be used against the other party. And I'm, I'm pointing at Republicans and Democrats for this. Yeah, Alice, what do you think? Is, uh, is yeah. Snowden on the right track? Oh, well, no. I mean, Snowden's case is completely different. That, that's, a, that's just a silly comparison. But, but I mean, Jeff is on to something to suggest well, he, that- he, Just to be fair, he uses a case of somebody else who had one document. Uh, document oh, okay. To, you know, I mean, so. maybe, maybe maybe there's somebody who got picked on. I mean, I, I'm open to that discussion, but but I mean, th- this isn't Snowden. I mean, let's let, let, let's be let, let's be honest about it. He, yeah, he was talking he about reality was, winner. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, there are cases. I mean, listen, sometimes reporters get in trouble for this stuff. I, I certainly hate that. Um, you know, here's the, here's the, if, if you want to sit with the politics, here's what I would say about it. It makes it increasingly likely that if Donald Trump is going to be indicted, criminally indicted, it's going to be for stuff related to January 6th, which is so much more serious than however many documents he took. So, so you know what? Maybe if that's the result, maybe I'm OK with it. Do you make much? I know Jeff made a comment about it in his initial statement about the non-disclosure prior to the election. The fact that they they discovered it themselves and then knew about it for, you know, a while before any anybody found out, certainly long before we found out. But they could have come out with this in advance of the election. It seems to me like if Biden had made that choice, he would have preempted almost all of the subsequent criticism of him. If he had just said, OK, hey, we found this. I did it inadvertently here. It's before the election. No criticism. Now, that obviously didn't happen. Do you weigh much on the decision to not go public with it? Well, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I've never met a politician who uh, who did that. Uh, and in the <laughs> end, and in the end, the Justice Department does not ever announce the beginnings, the earliest phases of an investigation. There's not a there's not a target. There's not a crime. There's not even any sense that any anything bad happened here. So, no, I've, I've covered justice for years and years. They never announce stuff at the beginning. Maybe maybe if you're lucky, they announce stuff at the end. So, no, this is this is just routine practice. You know, I, you know I, I think I think in the past that might have been true. But remember, the, the the search warrant at Trump's home happened just a few months before the midterm elections. So, I mean, I do think that there's some maybe some bias here. I mean, and I, and I was on the and I could be wrong about this, but I was under the impression that whoever discovered the documents uh, informed the DOJ, but the DOJ sat on it. 
until oh, exactly. after the yeah, no, that's I mean, right. I think that is. Yeah. I, I think that. Is. But what I'm saying is that justice never announces these things at the at the beginning. And I think in the Trump case, again, maybe your memory is better than mine, but I think Trump was the one who complained about it publicly. I don't think I don't think the Justice Department put out a statement about it. It's, yeah, it's you're actually these... right. He did it first. <laughs> I mean, I think it would have gone anyway, that's how he, but, that's but how he goes, can't right? help himself. <laughs> yeah, but they're picking on him. Don't pick on me, please. <laughs> so when all of this was happening to Trump, I was very sympathetic to the general notion of, look, presidents have their hands on a lot of documents. Um, things happen. They're trying to do their work in a lot of locations. I know my friends who work in you know the military and intelligence fields are like, oh, no, Andrew. But my that was kind of my reaction is, how much of a big deal is this? And I kind of want to have the same reaction here, which, OK, it's silly to say it was locked in a garage next to the Corvette instead of out on the street. That's a silly defense to take. But I'm kind of back with where Jeff was in the beginning here that this kind of stuff happens with the level of information flow that these guys manage. It seems almost like maybe the standards ought to be revisited, kind of like what um, Ed Snowden is saying is we need a different way to think about the control of information here, because if this can happen so easily to two different presidents. We have a problem with the system, maybe not so much with the presidents. Ellis? Uh, I guess. Uh, but but I mean, here's the problem with that with that argument. It's, the, it's Donald Trump. I mean, you want to defend the guy, right? You're pulling for him. You're sim- and then he just makes it impossible to defend himself when he, he comes up with 20 preposterous. What, what I, I, I declassified it in my brain. And now he's just, well, no, no, no. I just I had the folders, but I didn't have the. I mean, it, it becomes impossible to defend is the problem. Well, in, in fairness, there are times when he makes it very hard. Uh, impossible mm. might be a mm. step, but. No, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> he, he makes it almost impossible. I'll say that. I feel bad for people who have to defend him sometimes because he doesn't do those people any favors. Like if, if I were working for him, I'd be like, can you just shut up? I mean, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hey, we're talking with uh, Jeff Charles and Alice Hennigan here on the debate at Newsweek. We've got some other news related to gun control and measures taken by Illinois. We're going to pivot to that when we come back in just a moment. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Welcome back to the debate. Uh, Jeff Charles and Ellis Hennigan are here with me. I'm Andrew Tallman. And this week, the governor of Illinois signed into law the restriction against what he calls assault weapons, what I would call sporting rifles. But the terminology may be, you know, a bit of a uh, an argument in and of itself. They um they made a very interesting choice here. Not surprising, I think. The choice was that they were going to ban assault weapons, future sale and limit magazine capacity 
but not for existing owned weapons, right? Those could be held by the residents of Illinois as long as they registered or told the government that they had them. Uh, let's start with you, Alice, this time. What do you make of that move or that distinction? Is that a politically necessary one that they certainly couldn't go and grab everybody's sporting rifles? What do you think? Well, listen, I offer anything that has fewer of these military style weapons in the hands of civilians. I, you know, I'd rather have them all gone. If I could get half of them gone, I would I would be for that. And, you, know, you don't you don't really think these are sporting rifles, do you? Well, I don't think they're weapons of war. That's rifles? the problem I have. I don't, I don't think you'd ever assault a compound with a single shot uh, AR-15. You know, that's that's my concern with that terminology. Is mm. I don't know any of my friends in the military who prefer this weapon going into war. Yeah, well, but- I don't. You, well, you, I'll, I'll bow to whatever you want to call it, but but regular folks should not have these weapons. There's no absolutely no reason in America for a civilian to have a weapon like this. Jeff? I mean, I say that it doesn't matter whether people think that there's a reason for it or not. The Second Amendment guarantees our right to bear arms. And if you and if you look at the the lives that are taken by gun violence, like it's a very minuscule percentage that are taken by these so-called weapons of war, which are like you like you just pointed out, Andrew, these are not weapons of war. These are not weapons that the military uses. People actually use AR-15s for hunting. There's a lot of people who do. There's a lot of people who use it for home defense, and you have the right to have that. And, and to me, this whole assault weapon thing is just a precursor to putting more restrictions on the more commonly used guns that, that are actually using gun violence, handguns. And to me, there's no good reason to deprive responsible law-abiding citizens of the right to bear these arms. You know, you wrote a very interesting piece where you talked about the uh, racist implications of gun control measures where essentially the violence rate against black, you know, the murder rate, homicide, gun homicide rate against blacks in America is outrageous and back to the levels it was in the 1990s. Talk a little bit about how you draw the connection between the gun control arguments and measures and then that Mm -hmm. being a racist impact. Yeah, sure. So um, I I won't bore you with all of the history, but I mean, the the very roots of the gun control movement in America were were very much racist, designed to disarm black people as slaves. And even as they they became freedmen, because they would use these to protect themselves from from external racist threats. So as time went on, they had to change the nature of these laws because you can't, you know, pass law saying we don't want black people owning guns. But now they do it in a way that's a lot more subtle. And I'm not necessarily talking about assault weapons bans, although that could classify. But if you take the Supreme Court's decision in Bruin, for instance, and the measures that California, New York, New Jersey are passing to get around that ruling, what they're doing is making it much harder for for black Americans to to legally get firearms to protect themselves. It, It has a disproportionate impact on black communities. And by the way, when we're talking about the, the this homicide wave that happened over the past three years, who was disproportionately the victims of that? That would be Black Americans. And despite a lot of these laws, gun ownership in the Black community has been going up because Black people recognize that the government's not going to be there to save them, it's not going to protect them, and that they need to be able to defend themselves. But when you have these licensing schemes that have exorbitant fees just to get a license to carry, all these taxes that they pile on, all these requirements, which cost more money, then you basically have to be a a middle class or upper class white person to be able to legally own a firearm, which puts a lot of black people in a position where they have to carry anyway in violation of the law, which further exposes them to being arrested and sent to jail. Jail, Like the the phrase, it's better to be be, uh, 
judged by nine than carried by six, that has a totally different context or judged by 12, I'm sorry. That has a much better di- different context when it comes to owning a firearm uh, illegally because they're at, the, they're at least, they're at either at risk of getting shot in their communities or having to go to jail. And that's not, that's not a situation they should ever be in. So um, I'll probably elaborate more on this, but I just wanted to give you the, the thumbnail sketch of, of my case on that. Yeah, Ellis, I'm 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 curious because you specifically said about assault weapons or sporting rifles or whatever that you'd like to see fewer of those. I'm mm-hmm. curious if you have the same view of handguns and or concealed yes. carry weapons. Yes, yes, all of that, all of that. I, I mean, our current experiment of of making America awash in guns of all times at all places for all people has been a has been a, a disaster. I mean, it's been a been a terrible thing. Let me let me see if I can unpack some of Jeff's stuff. And even though it was just a thumbnail, he said a lot there. Let me let me see if I can if I can point just a couple of things that that, that pop into mind. First of all, I'm very slow about accusing people of racism. Um, I'm for regulating those guns, and I don't think I'm a racist, and I don't think people who are supporting that stuff uh, are, are doing so out of some kind of a racial animus. And I and, and I know I don't know what's in their hearts, and so so I'm not gonna. I'm not going to make that allegation in any direction. Um, but we do know a, a few things. One is you, Jeff's correct that there is more gun violence in the black community per capita. But, but you know, those numbers are really interesting. For, for instance, I, I'll give you something that might surprise our listeners. The states with the highest gun homicide rates are all the top five are all red states. Mississippi, my home state of Louisiana, uh, a big gun place, uh, a- a- Alabama, M- Missouri. You got to go all the way up to, I think, number eight before you get to, to Illinois and New York, where I am right now, where everybody's hysterical about crime, I think is 32nd, maybe in the, uh, the gun homicide rate, uh, the most recent, the most recent numbers. So, so our stereotypes about this, uh, this as being a, a, a problem of in urban areas is, is just the, the numbers don't, don't, don't support it. Um, finally, and I'll make this, this, this one last point. Uh, Jeff, as you know, the courts don't say that you can't regulate the kinds of weapons that people have under the First Amendment. We've had, we've had court backing for all sorts of limitations on the sorts of weapons that people have. I mean, you, you can't have a bazooka. You can't have a hydrogen bomb. If for a period of years, you couldn't, you couldn't have one of these assault weapons. So, so th- there's no conflict between the Second Amendment and the legislature saying, hey, there's some kind of weapons that are just too crazy, too dangerous to put in the hands of civilians. Uh, just on the particularly on the first piece there about the racism, Jeff, would you be because I read the article, too, and I thought I, I wouldn't want to call it racism deliberate, you know, intended, I would say has a racially disparate impact. And I'm always cautious about alleging that the people who might do things that wind up harming black people are doing it for that reason, despite the history that you point out quite right, you know, the original history of gun control in the country. So do you make a distinction between controlling firearms uh, that winds up harming more black people versus deliberately trying to see policies that cause black people harm? Sure. I mean, I'm sure some of them have good intentions and some don't. Like, I'm not I'm not pointing at any individual, but I am pointing at the at the outcome. I mean, when you have a situation where I mean, it, 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 when you have a situation where black people are more likely to be victims of gun violence, but then you also want to restrict the law abiding ones from being able to defend themselves. It's hard for me to understand why you think that's actually helping people. The vast majority of gun violence like over 70% is committed by people who obtain their guns illegally outside of the law. 
these aren't people these aren't gang members who went to their local gun store went through the background check and got a gun then went out and shot somebody these are people who got them illegally so when you restrict when you're restricting black gun ownership or trying to curtail it you're leaving black people a lot more vulnerable i, I mentioned before that black gun, gun ownership has been going up in philadelphia last year they had a distinct rise in defensive gun uses. And by the way, study, a, a myriad of studies show that guns are more often used to prevent crime than it is to commit them. I mean, one from the CDC had up to even up to two million per year of these defensive gun uses. So to me, the idea that preventing law abiding gun owners, regardless of race, is going to cut down uh, on gun crime. To me, to me, it's absurd. You're actually making people more vulnerable to the people who don't follow the law, whether they're assaulting somebody or getting a gun illegally. I thought it was particularly telling in your article, Jeff, when you quoted from Assemblyman John McKeon, who asked the question rhetorically, I think he meant, does anybody really want to put more guns in the hands of people that live in Patterson and Newark and Elizabeth and Camden, places that are high crime, uh, high black population areas? Uh, Ellis, you know, when I read that, what I think is, it's exactly the most vulnerable. It's the poor. It's the elderly. It's mm -hmm. women. It's uh, people who live in poor, high crime areas. Those are the people I want to own guns because the criminals already do. Mm -hmm. The legal citizens, I want to be able to defend themselves, but you don't see it that way. Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't follow two, two, two quick points. Let's talk about how those guns end up in the hands illegally of citizens who use them for bad purposes, right? What, what happens in, in the vast majority of cases is they are bought legally in states where they're freely open to be sold, right? They come to my home state of Louisiana, they buy a whole bunch of guns in the Walmart and then, and then truck them up to other places and where, where there are laws and sell them. So, so while it's illegal for them to end up there, the fact that guns are so readily available in so many parts of our country make it very difficult to, to, to for state by state to, to make those controls to make those controls effective. Secondly, it really doesn't follow the, the, from the fact that you do in some places have a lot of gun violence that therefore we'd be better off putting more guns into those places. I, I would take that evidence and, and, and see exactly the opposite which is that, my God, you've got so many guns. People are shooting each other all the time. we got to get those guns out of those people's hands. We shouldn't make it easier or more plentiful or more powerful or, or, or expand the, the, the people who can get it or eliminate the background checks or all the, all the sensible gun safety regulations that, boy, I wish my gun lovers would, would, would join me in. What uh, when you when you look at the individual, though, and I think that's where Jeff is focusing his attention, mm -hmm. the individual person who feels at risk and in that person's town either can't carry, can't get a permit to carry. Or maybe you live in a city like Chicago where you're just not allowed to have it or New York. Mm -hmm. Does how do you tell that person? No, you're better off not being able to defend yourself. How, how do you, what's what's your phrasing well, to that person? Well, I'll, why don't we talk about what we ought to be able to agree on? I mean, I'm never going to get you that. to agree that I'm never <laughs> to get you to agree that you shouldn't have 50 guns in your house. But but I hope I can get you to agree. For instance, 
on a on a reasonable system of background checks, on a process where you have to show that you know how to use the gun in the same way we require a driver's license, some some ability to safely operate the gun. Or, or, or here's here's another one. We could stop that thieving that I'm talking about and that uh, interstate transporting by by having requiring smart guns where, where it only works if your fingerprint matches the the actual gun. So if it's stolen, it would just be a, a hunk of useless steel. We should at least be able to agree on those kind of basic safety measures. We've got a problem out there and the absolutist no nothing ever solutions are not are not serving us very well. Jeff, you uh, do you agree with any of those proposals? Do you see room for a regulatory scheme, including, you know, even minimal standards on competency, training, information, education? You know, again, Illinois has the firearm owner's ID card that you have to prove you're capable of safely owning and operating a gun. Most concealed carry states require some kind of training. Not all. Some have permitless carry and some have open carry, of course, without a permit. But are those kinds of things or background checks? Uh, do you agree with that? You know, I believe every responsible person who becomes a gun owner should train. I did when I first became a gun owner uh, uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I, I I still train because to make sure that I know how to how to use my my weapon. I'm I'm well versed on best practices. Um, but I will I, I will tell you this. I'm. The, the background checks, we already have those. And they aren't stopping, again, criminals from obtaining guns illegally. Now, if you're talking about cracking down and make, making it harder for criminals to get those guns, then uh, you might get me on board with that. But the fact of the matter is they're always going to find a way. Like if you stop one way, then they'll find another, which means that leaving people vulnerable is not the solution. I, I, I When it comes to law-abiding, responsible people, I want them all to own a gun. I want them all to be able to defend themselves because, because that way they don't have to worry about being victimized. Like I said before, guns are far more likely to be used defensively than to be used to commit a crime. And I'm not even talking about situations where somebody has to shoot somebody who's assaulting them. Sometimes if somebody's coming at you with a knife, you take out a gun, they run away. That's, that's counted as a defensive gun use. So to me, I think responsible people, which most of us are, should have be able to have the means by which we can defend themselves and and making that more difficult only empowers the evil people who want to use guns to victimize people well look can, can i try to just achieve one small thing here jeff jeff congratulations on your on your training which you seem to take very seriously and yeah. is, indeed is very important i mean guns are deadly weapons and you ought to know how to operate it before you before you have one in your home or on your or, on your body can't we agree, though, that people who are not competent to operate guns should not have guns, that we ought to have some kind of system where we know that that people who don't know what to do with it are not allowed to have it? Can, can I at least get you to agree to that? Uh, when you say incompetent, are you talking about people who just don't know how to shoot? Or are you talking about people with mental all of issues? It. Or anyone, any, all of it. Anyone who is not I, I proficient think Alice... hasn't, hasn't done what you do and learn how to operate the gun safely. We should at least be able to agree that that, that, that those those idiots shouldn't have guns, shouldn't we? <laughs> I think Alice has in mind the uh, at least the female of the couple in St. Louis that was waving her gun around at Whatever. the crowd of demonstrators Whatever. as an example of someone yeah. who clearly doesn't have good gun safety practices can we well, agree that, on that seems like we should be able to agree on that huh yeah yeah to me though how is the government going to solve that because you can take those oh. courses and still be a moron and flip your oh. around we, we well you better be 
Should we stop driver's licenses? I mean, you know, you know, come on. We can find a way to have good gun safety courses. The NRA, which I don't always love, runs very good gun safety courses. And we ought to make people take them before we let them own a gun, shouldn't we? I think Ellis just advocated for ha- empowering the NRA to teach kids and citizens how to use guns properly, which I'm all in favor of that. <laughs> better than not. I mean, also, I'm that- not. I'm not sure. We've converted them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure given the number of accidents and DUIs in the United States that you want to go to America's driver's license permitting scheme as the go to safety net argument. I will say this. Just one thing that I learn a lot from my uh, my law enforcement friends is the I I think this is a nationwide problem. I certainly know this is a problem we have in uh, where I live. But the problem is. People uh, there, there are literally gangs of teenagers who go car to car to car through neighborhoods, checking for open doors and taking guns and money and whatever out of those Mm -hmm. cars. And that's one of the the one of the ways that guns go from legal ownership into illegal ownership. And so if we could just get people to lock their doors (laughs) on their cars, we would probably solve at least some slice of this problem. When we come back, we're going to talk about the scary, terrifying or wonderful, amazing opportunities brought to us by generative artificial intelligence here on the debate. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the debate. Uh, I am terrified to even say these words out loud, but I will say them anyway. Generative artificial intelligence. This is the new wonderful slash horrifying world in which Ryan Reynolds can give uh, the chat bot, uh, the artificial intelligence machine, a series of instructions about an ad that he'd like to run in his style of speaking for his mobile company. And it comes back with appropriate use of profanity, an appropriate joke, and all of the key elements that he said in his voice, what sounds like him speaking. I'm very concerned about where we're going with this. Let's start with you, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, I'm hearing a lot about AI. I don't know much about it, but I, I can see how a lot of this stuff can be scary. But it also has some some benefits too, like cars that automatically stop when you're not paying attention, you know, and you're, you're going to rear end somebody. But I mean, how far can this go? I mean, if you've got like Ryan Reynolds' voice, what's to keep people from emulating your voice and making it sound like you said something that you didn't really say? How would there be a way to tell? I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of different elements in this equation. So there's a lot of good about it, too. But I think there is reason to be concerned. Yeah, the applied AI side, the like keeping the car from running into each other side, we've sort of pretty well integrated that by now into our society. Uh, The AI that looks for problems based on known information. Very powerful stuff. 
the the creative, the generative AI that's making art, that's making it, it can write a paper in the voice of an eleventh grader about the inappropriateness of burkas for women in Afghanistan. I mean, it's just it's amazing and. To me, it's crazy the level of uh, output you can get out of these things. Alice, where do you think we are? Where's this going? <laughs> you know, I, I have two things I can sell, right? Talking and writing. That's pretty much all I got. <laughs> and if you've got a machine who does that, who does me better than me, that doesn't sound like it's too good for my income. I, so, no, I'm, I'm scared of it. At first, first, I had to deal with the fact that there are a lot of 23-year-old writers who are willing to write for $20, um, and now I got to have a machine. It'll do it for nothing. I, no, please. Let's find, I don't know how to stop it. I got no idea how to stop it, but uh, please, please help me. Yeah. I, it's one thing to, you know, for a factory worker to fear getting his job replaced because, you know, the machine does it faster, better with fewer errors mm, than he does. Yeah. And we can find something else for him to do something more uniquely human, let's say for him to do. And all of a sudden we discovered that talk radio hosts and columnists and <laughs> news anchors and, <laughs> <laughs> the like, you know, give me three seconds of your voice, 14 keywords and access to the Internet. And my mm. AI can do the newscast. That seems to be where we're going. And it can do it in the style of Edward Morrow or it can do it in the style of your favorite or least favorite politician. Jeff. Yeah, I mean, I've already seen them experimenting with that. And I'm with Ellis because all I do is write and talk, too. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that that is going to make things tough. I mean, I would imagine that that would be more um, appropriate for like a newscast where you're just reporting the straight facts. But I will say, like, for people like Ellis and I, we're, we've got personalities. We've, we, you know, we have opinions and we have allegedly that we use allegedly. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how that an AI could ever get to where it can emulate that. But at the same time, I don't even think people would want it to because you want to feel like there's a human behind the opinion that you're hearing. But for other areas, it might be a huge issue. I mean, just like we've had technical technological advances all throughout the history of mankind and that has always shaken things up so it'll be interesting interesting to see how this turns out or it could just result in skynet and terminator and we're, we'll all just be obliterated or maybe the matrix i don't know I, I you know i used to always think my big fear was that the robots would take over that they would dominate us that they'd turn us into human batteries like the matrix or skynet or pick your pick your movie right they none of the movies ever turn out well for us okay even in the velt the children use the machine to take over and kill their parents okay not to spoil the ending but now i find that i'm with ellis you know my concern is geez i kind of thought i had something unique going here i can think <laughs> i can create i can crack wise uh i i it takes a lot of mastery of information to be able to synthesize it and present it coherently and sometimes it works and other times not as much and now all of a sudden you can make a machine to do, you know, Andrew Tallman at his best, Andrew Tallman at his worst, Andrew Tallman at his funniest, Andrew Tallman at his most, you know, weak, boring version. All of those are possible. And I don't own it because how do I is that like my gene or something that I I, I fear being replaced, frankly, Alice? Well, Andrew, consider yourself lucky if there is still a demand for Andrew Tolman of any of those <laughs> varieties. Exactly. Listen, one, one, of, one of the lessons we've all had to learn is reinvention, right? When I started my career, I thought I was going to be a newspaper columnist for the rest of my life. You know, how's, how's that working out, right? So uh, every, every third or fourth week, I reinvent myself, and I just hope I won't have to reinvent myself into artificial intelligence. Uh, you know, a second-tier version of the real thing may be about as far as I can go. Yeah, and, and also to your point, Jeff, about, uh, you know, we always want a human behind it. 
there are uh like i don't know how to describe them, artificial intelligence musicians out there that have mm. massive followings where it is pure ai generating the music the lyrics and the dance moves of this animated character like that's a real thing and people like it people find it entertaining i do worry that the computers get to be better at us than i mean they are clearly better at us in the physical realm and better at us in the computational realm that's that's a foregone thing by now but what about in the creative artistic emotional realm we seem to be on that cusp in fact where there's one author uh who says recently she had predicted that by 2030 90 percent of the uh content on the internet would be ai generated she now says no i was way off 2025 by wow. 2025 90 percent of the content on the internet now maybe she's wrong but goodness if it's only 70 i don't feel like i'm winning yeah no i mean th that is scary i mean and it seems like it would also be even easier to manipulate people as well i mean when you get that down to a science and you've got it automated i mean what does that mean for our liberties and freedoms i mean the, you, we can go to, down all kinds of rabbit holes when when it comes to this stuff so i mean i, I hope she's way wrong i hope she's way off i mean but i can kind of understand i mean especially younger generations they're more comfortable with with texting and stuff like that and i mean there's even services that i've seen online to coach these younger people on how to have a phone conversation because right. they they yeah. they have anxiety about talking to somebody on the phone so, I mean, th there's a lot of issues coming up here. So I, it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. And Ellis, I know for me, one of the things that I look, I'm a big believer in the classical education. You know, you learn how to speak and write the language. You learn how to do the math without the aid of a, of a calculator. And so that you can function and be an adult and have the right understanding of the world. And beyond that, to communicate effectively, we're now looking at a world where much like spell checker, a person might decide, uh, I want to speak on this subject. AI write my speech for me. AI deliver my speech for me. AI <laughs> do it more effectively. It's, <laughs> to what degree are the traditional intellectual virtues and skills even necessary in the future world? Andrew, did you did you say a minute ago that it could that AI could teach me some dance moves? I'm sure. <laughs> did you, did I'm, you say something like well, that? No, because, because no, but there's no need to teach you. It can take your body. Uh, it can take somebody who does the move. Yeah. It can meld them together and it can make a video Man. of Alice Hennigan doing whatever dance move. And you never do it, but it'll look just like you doing it. Man, because I've been struggling since Mrs. A. Bear's dance classes <laughs> in New Orleans uh, many, many years ago. And I'm, I'm still working on the cha-cha and the jitterbug, which I think were popular at the time. Um, listen, listen, here's the sad reality, right? Anytime we get a new wave of technology, we think, holy crap, this is going to ruin my life forever. It comes anyway. We find some way to outmaneuver it. And for the moment, at least, uh, human beings are still standing. I, I, I will take your optimism. I certainly hope that is the case. Let's pivot to something else that's happening this week. We're running up against the debt ceiling, which is either the crisis of the forever or nothing whatsoever because we've done it, what, 70 times in the past and we just always raise it. I'm fascinated by the so-called, what are the extraordinary measures that Janet Yellen says, which we've also done numerous times in the past where we just don't pay into the retirement fund for the government employees. And we do a little bit of accounting voodoo. And out of the end of that, we get an extra five months of do nothingism. Is this something we should be even worried about, Jeff? Or is this just one more time we're going through this charade of caring that is never going to be solved? And you know, they're just going to raise the debt ceiling in the end anyway. So why bother? 
I mean, they're not really even hiding it that well anymore. I mean, I remember back <laughs> in the day, you know, at least Republicans would make a huge show of, oh, no, harumph, harumph, harumph. We can't be spending all this money. We have to balance the budget. Don't raise the debt ceiling. Now it's more like, uh, yeah, I mean, we don't like it, but we're going to do it anyway. So, you know, I, and I think that's where we're at right now. I think it's dangerous, but I think even the American public doesn't really care anymore. I mean, it's like we've done this so many times, like you said, that each time makes it easier to do it again, then do it again, then do it again, then do it again. Um, I, I don't like saying this, but I think that it's going to take something drastically uh, catastrophic for us to actually wake up, pay attention and force our leaders to do something about this. You know, you'd, you'd like to believe, I guess, that there's a collective recognition that this is bad. But if collective recognition is represented in the people we elect and the decisions they make, we seem to be nowhere close to that. Alice, your thoughts? Well, man, I, I hope the optimism I'm hearing from both of you guys is correct. <laughs> because, but, but However, I, I have looked at the people who seem to be in control of the House of Representatives right now, and a lot of them seem to want failure. They want to wreck the government. They want to have an international monetary crisis occur. I, you know, maybe they'll come around. Maybe they're just pretending and Congresswoman Boebert and, uh, and Ms. Green and others, Gates are all just uh, going to be very responsible fiscal citizens. But uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm a little more worried about this. I hope people understand this is money. This isn't new. This is money we already spent, right? This is money we've already approved. And so, boy, I don't know any justification for not paying the bills for the money you've already spent. Later on, let's have the debate about what money we should spend in the future. But, uh, man, I, I hope the trust you guys have in these, uh, these empowered Congress people proves to be justified. Well, it just, yeah, the I, problem I is that the, later is never going to come. <laughs> it, it feels very much like the Congress who cried debt limit, right? I mean, it just it's over and over and every time something they solve it somehow or other, or they don't really solve it. They just push the problem later on. I will agree with you about this, Ellis, with the um, the debate over electing Speaker McCarthy. You saw the holdouts seem to get a fair number of concessions that indicate they might be more willing to, hey, if he doesn't do the right thing, maybe they call him and try to recall him. Or, you know, the question about getting a, a clean budget bill to have a you know balanced budget bill on the floor of the house. It might be that they throw their weight around or try to in the next couple of months between now and, you know, what, June, I think, is when it, it happens. But I, I guess I, I share your concern, Alice. I don't want to just put my faith in Congress that <laughs> this is all going to work out OK. But again, we've seen it so many times before that I do. It's it's hard to get worked up. It's hard. No, to I get hope you're right. No, I hope you're right. I, I do, too. I'm, you know, and I guess I mean, I'd like a solution. That would be the better thing, wouldn't it? Wouldn't a solution be better? Yeah, but th this isn't the place. I mean, it's seriously, it, it's me not paying my credit card bills. This, if, if you go, go do what cutting you want, you want to spend less money on defense or at the border or social programs, whatever, let's have that debate, but don't, but don't spend it and then refuse to pay it. That, that can't be the way to go. Last thing we always like to do is end with some kind of fun topic that's a little bit lighter, although we've had a fair amount of fun today, which I always appreciate that from you guys. By the way, who ranked better on the curmudgeon scale today, Jeff or Ellis? I want a self-assessment. <laughs> Jeff, was it you or Ellis? Uh, I don't I, know. I, I, you know I'm going to go with me because I'm the one who um, articulated very forcefully uh, my radical stance <laughs> on guns. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. And uh, Ellis is sure enough to, gr to grant the ribbon away. All right. So first one is this. Um, kind of a follow up from last week when we were talking about the uh, speaker debate, but cameras 
on the floor anytime they want him. C-SPAN, unfettered access to all of the human emotions, the the face grabbing of one representative away from another one, or the happy-go-lucky times where they're sharing lunch and having a good conversation. What do you think about basically letting C-SPAN shoot whatever they want to shoot, Jeff? I'm good with it. I'm all for more like, transparency, especially when it comes to the government. We elect them to get get certain things done, and we should know exactly what they're talking about. I'm I'm good with that. Yeah, I, I like the long. I like the uh, just the opportunity. I wouldn't sit there and watch all five channels or whatever, but I like the mm-hmm. opportunity to look at it. Ellis, oh my God, you all are so right about this. Let Let's hire the producers of Big Brother and have them come in and wire the hell out of that place, <laughs> and, and and maybe and maybe the uh, Capitol Hill apartments of some of these folks. That might be fun too. I think the infrared we can leave alone. I don't want to go anywhere near that, but I love the high production value and a good host, you know, to keep it choppy. Uh, <laughs> last one is, I don't know how big of a football fans you guys are, but this weekend, the, the Bengals game featured a 98 and a half yard uh, fumble recovery run back for a touchdown inadvertently after which it was discovered that they knew the ball had never crossed the goal line because the chip inside the ball never got past the 0.6 meters close to the uh, the goal line, to which everybody said, we have chips in the footballs. Why aren't we using that to measure downs, yardage, and scoring? What do you guys think? Is that the way to go for the future of the NFL, Ellis? Yeah, I, I, I'm okay with it. Maybe we could solve the problem of head injuries and the helmet, so if we're all so smart. Uh, the curmudgeon ribbon goes back to you, oh, Jeff. All right. I deserve it. <laughs> you know, I I don't even watch football, but that's just I didn't even know that, that they had the balls chipped either. I, I'm with Ellis on this one. Maybe there are some more important things to worry about when it comes to uh, a sports ball. Well, way to end it on a positive note. <laughs> Ellis Henneken. Head injuries. That's right. Uh, Jeff Charles, uh, Ellis Henneken. Gentlemen, as always, a pleasure. Thank you for the time. Thanks for the stimulating thoughts. I know I learned something and I appreciate it. I'm Andrew Tallman for Newsweek here at The Debate. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.